It is a pleasure to be with you as we're starting a new series, a series that we are calling You Pick. And as I said at the beginning of our service, the reason why we're calling it You Pick is because on Easter Sunday, you had a chance to decide what it is we are going to preach in the month of June. Everybody who attended uh, worship on Easter got a ballot, and there were like 15 topics on there that you could have chosen from. And what we said is we said we are going to take the top five votes from across all four of our Trinity locations, and that is going to guide our worship series. Now, the number one choice across all four locations, this was the top pick at Galewood, South Naperville, Green Trails, and here at Kimberly Way, was the topic, One Nation Under God. What does, it, what does it really mean to be a Christian in a country and at a time when we are so politically divided? That was the, the topic that people were overwhelmingly interested in, which I think says a lot about our current uh, situation, our current context. So here's what we wanted to let you know. We decided we're going to do a whole series on that topic in July. So if you voted for that and you're just like, boy, I'm really hoping to hear about that, guess what? You get not one week of that, you actually get three. And so we're going to be doing a series called One Nation Under God, talking about what is, it, what is the relationship between church and state? What does it mean to be a Christian in a politically divided culture? Uh, so come back and join us uh, for July. But I want to say uh, what the other uh, topics that are going to kind of fill June are. Uh, again, uh, top uh, five topics after that first one, uh, here at Kimberly Way and also at Green Trails were these five topics, God's will for me. Uh, second topic is the relationship between science and faith. Third topic is that doesn't make sense, dealing with contradictions in the Bible. Fourth topic being angels, and the fifth topic being do my prayers change God's mind. Those were overwhelmingly your top choices, and so this morning we're going to kick off our series talking about this subject of God's will for me. Can I really know it, and how do I discover it? And so I think it's only right that before we dive into that topic and we take a look at what God's Word has to say about it, that we allow God to prepare our hearts and our minds for the message He has for us. So would you please bow your heads and pray with me? Let's pray together. Lord God, we give you thanks that you have gathered us into this place at this time. Yes, to reveal your will to us. Yes, to help us understand what it means to follow you what it means to walk with you, what it means to trust you. And so, Lord, as we come before your word and as we wrestle with this topic together, we pray that, Holy Spirit, you would grant us wisdom and insight, that, God, you would give us open minds to understand and open hearts to receive the message that you have. And, Lord, I pray that the words of my lips and the meditation of my heart would be pleasing in your sight, O God, who is indeed our rock and our redeemer. Amen. You know, this is indeed a very popular topic. It's not just a popular topic because you all voted on it. It's something that I think comes up a lot. Um, over my, my past, really, 10 years in ministry, this is a question that I've encountered over and over and over again. Uh, as I'm talking with different people, and as, especially as they're facing big life choices, the question comes, what is God's will for me? When it comes to this particular choice, or, or maybe the trajectory of my life overall, what would God have me do? What is his plan for my life? How can I know it? Well, what do I need to do to discover it? Uh, how can I be sure that I'm walking in it? And one of the things that I have found as I've talked with, with Christians about uh, God's will and how do you discern it and things like that is I found that many of us actually approach this question with what I would call a, a fortune cookie approach. A fortune cookie approach in the sense that what we're looking is we're kind of looking for some sort of quick and easy answer. 
But as I was thinking about this for a second, I, I started to ask the question, as I usually do, uh, where does the fortune cookie come from? I mean, that, that's really where my head went first, is, is this, this idea of a fortune cookie. What, what, where did fortune cookies actually originate? And uh, the thing that I found as I was uh, studying it is that, do, do you know that fortune cookies actually aren't Chinese? They're Japanese. They came from Japan. And actually, they, they have a very uh, specific name. It's uh, Sujira Senbei is the name of the fortune cookie. It's usually larger than what we typically think of as a fortune cookie. It's also not made with like sugar and vanilla and flour. It's actually made with sesame and miso. So it's kind of uh, sweet and bitter all at once. And uh, inside, tucked inside, rather than being actually in the interior of the cookie, it's usually tucked into the fold. There's this uh, little thing called an omikuji. And an omikuji is what we would call the fortune. But an omikuji isn't really a fortune because an omikuji isn't necessarily always positive. It's more like a horoscope. And, and typically, when you would get these cookies is they're not served at restaurants. You would get them when you go to shrines. And then when you would go to the shrine, you could purchase one of these cookies or you could eat, purchase a little box that has an omikuji in it. And when you open it up, the omikuji gives you either a positive or a negative foretelling. A positive or a negative foretelling about important subjects in life. Things like who you're supposed to marry, uh, what your future financial picture is, how stable your career might be what you can look forward to or maybe not look forward to in terms of your health. And people will go to shrines and they'll, they'll, they'll purchase these cookies or they'll purchase an omikuji, they'll open it up, they'll read it, and if it's a positive fortune, they'll take it with them. If it's a negative fortune, they'll actually tie it to the outside of the temple where they hope that at least the, the, the negative uh, fortune or the, or the curse will wait there rather than following them home. But see, people would get these omikujis because they, wanted a they want a quick answer. They want a quick answer to life's biggest questions. And when I say that we sometimes, when it comes to pursuing the will of God, have a fortune cookie approach, that's exactly what I'm talking about. We want a quick answer when it comes to those important issues of life, marriage, car marriage career, finances, health. And often when we're trying to wrestle with this question, what is God's plan for my life, we think that what God's plan means is that he's got a specific place that I'm supposed to go to college. That he has a specific person that I'm supposed to marriage. That he has the perfect career. That if I find that career and I'm walking in his will, that will set me up well for having peace and security in life. That God's plan for my life is even uh, extends to what kind of family I should have and how I should raise my children and so on and so forth. We think that there are specific answers and that it's really up to us to discern what those answers are. And so we, we talk to uh, wise counselors and, and maybe more mature Christians and we ask them for their advice about whatever question we're currently being faced with. Or we pour over scripture and we try to find that like perfect Bible passage that's suddenly going to magically unveil God's truth and God's will for this particular decision. Or we pray and we pray and we pray until we feel like we've, we've heard a message from the Lord. Or maybe we show up at, at church and we think that the pastor is going to say something insanely insightful that's just going to illuminate everything and instead you get a 40-minute sermon and you're late from your Memorial Day barbecue. I'm sorry about last week. I apologize. <laughs> I know. I heard you all talking. It was long. I, I apologize. 
But this is what we think, right? It's like, I want, I want my omikuji. I want my fortune. And I think that if I just go to the right places and, and, and consume the right things, that suddenly the fortune is going to drop out of the sky. It's going to be unrolled in this tiny, perfect little scroll. And suddenly I'm set. I know what's going on. But there are two problems with this approach. The first is the fear that often comes with it. The fear of what, what if? I think I know what God wants me to do, but, but what if I'm wrong? What if, what if this isn't the, the, the exact college God wanted me to go to? Or what if this isn't the perfect career that he has laid out for me? Or, or, or what if this person that, yes, I'm in love with, and, 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 and it's looking good, and chemistry is great, but what if it's not 20 years down the line, and this wasn't the person God had laid out for me, and, and so on and so forth? There's this ongoing fear of what if I get it wrong? Does that mean my whole life is now off track? But the second thing, and I think the, the, the bigger problem that lies at the heart of this is that there is this temptation for control. That really at the heart of our fortune cookie approach to God's will is this desire to know exactly what the future holds so that we can have a sense of security that isn't resting in trusting God and his purposes, but is it resting in our knowledge and our ability to understand what comes next? See, we have fear and this desire for control. And I would say that neither one of these approaches really gets at the heart of what it means to pursue God's will, at least not according to scripture. Because I have a newsflash for you this morning. And that is that the Bible has very little to say about what God has in store for us tomorrow. The Bible has very little to say about what God has in store for us tomorrow. In fact, the few times the Bible talks about what God has in store for us tomorrow or thinking that we can discern it are actually words of warning. One of my favorites comes from James chapter 4, verse 13 and following. Here's what James says. He says, now listen. You who say, today or tomorrow, we will go to this or that city, spend a year there, carry on business, and make money. Why, you do not even know what will happen tomorrow. What is your life? You are a mist that appears for a little while and then vanishes. Instead, you ought to say, if it is the Lord's will, we will live and do this and that. As it is, you boast in your arrogant schemes. All such boasting is evil. If anyone then knows the good they ought to do and doesn't do it, it is a sin for them. See, what I love about what James says here is he's like, first and foremost, you're worrying about tomorrow and you're planning about tomorrow and your insistence that you got it all figured out for tomorrow. He says, that's arrogant. You have no idea what tomorrow is going to bring. I think that's just realistic, okay? None of us can really tell the future. But the other thing that he says, and this is what I found so interesting, is that last line. I don't know if you caught it. He says, if anyone then knows the good they ought to do and doesn't do it, it's a sin for them. Why does he throw that in here? Well, I think the reason that James throws that in here is he says, because quite honestly, what you should be more concerned about is not tomorrow, but today. What you should be more concerned about is what is the good that God has called you to do right now. Now, because the person who ignores the good that God wants them to do right now in favor of speculation about tomorrow is already living outside of God's will. 
think that's a great insight. And actually, it's quite indicative of what Scripture has to say about seeking God's will. I think my favorite passage, though, really comes from Jesus' Sermon on the Mount, and it's the passage that we read a little bit earlier on in our service. It comes from Matthew chapter 6, when talking about God's will for tomorrow. This is what Jesus has to say. Listen to these words. I tell you, do not worry about your life, what you will eat or drink, or about your body, what you will wear. Is not life more than food and the body more than clothes? Look at the birds of the air. They don't sow or reap or store away in barns, and yet your heavenly Father feeds them. Are you not much more valuable than they are? Can any one of you by worrying add a single hour to your life? Why do you worry about clothes? See how the flowers of the field grow? They don't labor or spin, yet I tell you that even Solomon in all his splendor was dressed like one of these. If that is how God clothes the grass of the field, which is here today and tomorrow, is thrown into the fire, will he not much more clothe you, O you of little faith? So don't worry, saying, what are we going to eat, and what will we drink, and what will we wear? The pagans run after these things, but your heavenly Father knows that you need them. Seek first his kingdom and his righteousness, and all these things will be given to you. Therefore, don't worry about tomorrow. Tomorrow will worry about itself. Each day has enough trouble of its own. Jesus says, don't worry about what God's will for you tomorrow is. Seek his kingdom today. And I love that right in the heart of that passage, he calls them you of little faith. He says, people who stress about tomorrow, people who are constantly trying to discern God's will for tomorrow are people who actually don't have faith. You see, faith in the Bible is not simply cognitively believing something about God. Faith actually means trust. What he's saying, he's saying, you who don't trust God enough. He says, really, God's desire is that you would learn to trust him that you would learn to trust him with tomorrow. That rather than worrying and constantly stressing out about what's next, what's next, what's next, what's next, just relax. God knows what's next. Let him worry about that. But your calling right here, right now, is to do the will of your father today, to seek his kingdom today. And this is a lesson that, that Jesus has had to teach his disciples all down through the centuries. I love that this weekend we're actually celebrating ascension. This day when Jesus, after rising from the dead and, and spending time with his disciples and teaching them, finally returns to heaven. And I love this story here because after he's spending, been spending some time with his disciples, as he's preparing to return to his throne in heaven, this is what it, uh, ends up happening. Uh, the disciples gathered around him and they asked him, Lord, are you at this time going to restore the kingdom to Israel? And he said, that's not for you to know the times or the dates the Father has set by his own authority. But you will receive power when the Holy Spirit comes on you, and you will be my witnesses in Jerusalem and in all Judea and Samaria and to the ends of the earth. See, what I love about this is the disciples are just like, all right, so now is the kingdom coming right now? And he's like, look, guys, let me worry about the when of the kingdom. I want you to worry about the how and the why of the kingdom. Let me worry about the timetable. I want you to focus on the calling right now. He says, your calling, your mission is to go and be my witnesses in the world. Let me worry about bringing the kingdom in its proper time and place. 
but you do what I've called you to do right now. And what's so funny, and guys, if you do not find certain stories in the Bible humorous, you are not reading it for all it's worth. What I find hysterical is that right after that, it says that he's taken up before their very eyes and a cloud hid him from their sight, and they were looking intently up into the sky as he was going. When suddenly two men dressed in white stood beside them, men of Galilee, they said, why do you stand here looking into the sky? This same Jesus who was taken from you into heaven will come back in the same way that you have seen him go into heaven. See, what I find so funny is Jesus basically says, hey, don't worry about the kingdom. It'll come back in its own time. Go back, be my witnesses. He goes up into heaven and they're all like, and so Jesus has to give them a little bit of a nudge. He sends two angels and they're like, hey guys, what you looking at? And they're like, what? And then it's just like, yeah, don't worry about that. He'll be back later. You have a job to do, right? Go, shoo. I mean, that's basically what happens, is they're looking into heaven waiting for a sign when God has already revealed exactly what he wants them to do. He said, go. Go back and be my witnesses. And I think so often, that's us. We're sitting there being just like, what do I do? And he's basically saying, look down and do what I said. That's what it means to live inside God's will. So not so much be freaking out about tomorrow. But to ask the question, what does God desire for me to do right here in the present moment? What type of a person is he calling me to be? What kind of decisions would he have me make in this moment? The real question is, how might I seek the kingdom of God in what I do today, right now? I remember having a, uh, a mentor when I was uh, in, um, working for InterVarsity on, in college ministry. His name was Casey Beckley. And I, I actually asked him this question. I said, okay, Casey, so how do you discern? How do you discern, you know, what to do in these really tough moments when you've got these big decisions in front of you? And he says, you know, Nick, one of the things that I do is I spend time reading through the book of Proverbs. That if I know that a big decision is coming up, I, I will actually read through Proverbs from beginning to end. And one of the things that I find is that by the time I'm done reading the book of Proverbs, I kind of know the answer. I kind of know what I'm supposed to do. And so I asked him, I was like, why? Is there like something in Proverbs? Is there like a magic proverb? I mean, basically, I was just like, is there like a fortune cookie proverb? Do you go through Proverbs and you find that one proverb that is like perfect for your bumper sticker right now? And he says, no, that's actually not it at all. He says, really, it's because when I go through the book of Proverbs, what I see is the type of person that God has called me to be. And by the time I'm done with that book, I, I understand God's heart and God's purposes and his intentions so well that I'm at peace about whatever decision that I make because I know that I'm making it with his priorities, not mine. And I think that was the most incredibly insightful thing that you could say. You could pick any book. You could pick the book of Proverbs. You could pick a gospel and read through the, the a gospel. You could pick an epistle. You could go back through the book of Job. I don't really care. The point is, is, do you realize that God's biggest concern is the formation and the shaping of your hearts? And that when we read his word, what we see is the kind of life that we're supposed to live. Not an answer for every tiny decision that we might make, but rather what ends up happening is that as we spend time dwelling in God's word, he shapes and molds our hearts. His Holy Spirit turns us into the kind of people who make godly decisions no matter what the circumstances might be. And that's really what it means to live in God's will, is to be the type of person that no matter what comes your way, you are making those decisions because they are rooted and grounded in the type of person God has called you to be, the type of character that he has in mind for you. 
And I'll tell you something about that. That when you are making decisions with God's priorities, it is possible to choose between two equally good options and still be doing the will of God. That actually it might not matter whether you go to COD or North Central or Benedictine or U of I or Harvard or Oxford. But are you going to that school with a mindset of, I desire to be trained in a vocation that I might use to bless my neighbors upon my graduation? That not so much sitting on two job offers waiting for a scroll to fall out of the sky, but asking the question between these two job offers, although they both look good, which one is going to allow me to best live out the mission in this season of my life? Those are the kinds of decisions that God says, you can make those decisions and still be in my will. Don't worry, you're not going to mess up his plan. You see, the question is, we often come to God and we say, what's God's plan for my life? That's the wrong question. We say, how can my life be a part of God's plan? How can I seek the kingdom today, right now? How might his word form and shape me into the type of person he desires me to become? And then I step forward in faith, trusting that God will continue to guide and provide. There's one last thing that I think is really important when it comes to knowing the will of God and pursuing that, and that is it's hard to trust a God that you don't know. It's hard to trust a God you don't know. Which is why I love what Jesus says again when he's talking about worrying. He says, look at the birds of the air They don't sow or reap or stow away in barns, yet your heavenly Father feeds them, and you are much more valuable than they are. He says, look at the flowers of the field, which today are are blooming and tomorrow are thrown into the fire, and how beautifully arrayed they are. How much more will he not clothe you? See, over and over again, what Jesus says is he says, you are valuable and precious to God. He loves you, and he's going to watch over you. He's going to go with you on your way. And if you ever doubted that God loves you, that he's going to provide for you, that he has your future well in hand, you need only look to the story that we're talking about this morning. This idea that Jesus came, died, rose again, and is ascended, that he sits on his throne. God loves you so much, he was willing to leave that throne to enter this world, to die for us. But more than that, he's overcome even sin and death, and he's promised that just as I reign on my throne once more, so I will come back and my kingdom will fill the earth from one end to the other. He says that is the ultimate future. That is your ultimate destiny. So if you know that, you can trust me today and not be afraid. For just as I provide for the smallest creatures that I have made, so I will provide for you, my children, whom I have redeemed. And so you can step forward with confidence knowing that God has indeed provided for everything that you require. The message this morning is God does indeed have a grand plan. Do you want to be the kind of person who gets to be a part of it? The encouragement from Jesus is he says, don't worry about tomorrow, but walk with me today. Don't worry about what's coming but look ahead of you in this moment and ask the question, what would Jesus have me do? 
And then step forward, trusting that the one who has overcome sin and death, the one who loves you far more than anything else in all the world, goes with you. So it's with that in mind that I want to pray. Lord, we give you thanks that you invite us to be a part of your purposes in the world. And too often we get distracted by worrying about what's coming. Lord, help us just to trust you and to rest in that amazing promise that you've given us that you'll provide and all you ask us to do is to seek your kingdom here and now. Lord, may we recognize the beauty of that kingdom, that it is a kingdom of grace and forgiveness, that it is a kingdom that will ultimately come again. And so we want to step into the world being the type of people who are formed by you. Form our hearts so that we make godly decisions, for we know that that ultimately is your will for us. It's in your name, Lord Jesus, that we pray. Amen.